I'm about to feed them to the sharks right now. Get them hype right now. Yeah. You know the ground is up. Yeah. Everybody that trains, you know the game. Yeah. So let's get it. Uh. Slap it up, bump it, and roll. Hey. Yeah, that's the way that it goes. Ain't no better way to better yourself in this game, you're feeling the growth. That's time on the map, we put in the work. Believe it ain't easy, I know. But we train for the love of the game, the love of the art. Now slap it up, bump it, let's roll. Welcome to episode 36 of the BJJ Campaign Podcast. My name is Jeff Boone. I'm an A3, blue belt, two stripes. This is Phil Coors, A2, blue belt, one stripe. And I'm John Telford. A2 brown belt with two stripes. Two stripes? There's like 15 stripes on your brown belt. Well, there's actually, there's one stripe on my belt right now, <laughs> and it's kind of like hanging on by a thread. I think it almost fell off at Piper's yesterday. <laughs> How was training at uh, Charlotte Jiu-Jitsu Academy? It was, it was really good. I think I spent more time in the crucifix yesterday than the rest of my Jiu-Jitsu career combined. I started and did maybe three rounds straight with John and he just crucifixed me from everywhere and like I couldn't I couldn't figure out the puzzle luckily like by the third round he started showing me like some of the some of the escapes and some of the like cheat codes to like navigate my way through this so by the time the rest of his students were trying to do the exact same thing to me I at least had like a couple answers for him but it was very very good training you had to know with John Piper you were getting the crucifix. His his match with uh, Fredson Pajal um, at last Toro Cup was amazing. It was pretty insane. And uh, and CJ Murdoch's commentary on that match was also pretty amazing. Uh, Is that the short arms one? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You yeah. can't read that. Was funny. <laughs> oh, CJ. <laughs> that was great. That was a good moment in uh, Toro Cup history for sure. So we've done a couple of Toro Cups, uh, gone out and watched them. You. Uh, <clears throat> help do all the matchmaking stuff like that and you also work with us grappling how did you kind of get into competitive jiu-jitsu how did that all start man so my jiu-jitsu career or journey is actually like probably a little different than most people's i started out uh like weightlifting at a i think it was a o2 fitness at the time and in the back of this o2 fitness was the original chapel hill what was then Team Rock Chapel Hill with Spencer Itor Kanup, Jake Whitfield, uh, Mazi Hadari, Hardy Merritt was over there, a, a bunch of guys. Um, and they were all training in this little back room over there, and I was just making bagels. Um, and somebody had kind of introduced this idea of jujitsu to me. And so I had like popped in there and taken a couple classes, but it was like, couldn't really afford it and let me let me back step it wasn't that I couldn't afford it this is the same conversation that everybody has about Jesus right I could I could afford it I was just choosing to spend my money in other places right so not so wisely yeah mostly <laughs> bars was the main place so come my I want to say it was my 23rd birthday I decided that I would stop smoking cigarettes and stop drinking and get in shape and go do this Naga tournament. Because so I saw a flyer for a tournament at the O2 Fitness that I guess somebody from the Chapel Hill, the Team Rock crew had dropped on the ground. So I saw this tournament in DC and decided like, I'll, I wanna go do this. And if I like, if I do okay at this, then we'll pay somebody to like take some classes and figure this whole thing out. But like if I suck, then let's, let's just go back to making bagels. I don't need to waste my time with this. So like, cut down to 139 pounds like with all of the training i'd learned from watching the ultimate fighter <laughs> so i like was it like maybe two days before a day before i ordered a sweatsuit from what was it uh, mma warehouse or mma one of those like just awful mma companies online with, like, it was like it was like the, the tad it definitely was a tattoo logo whatever it was it looked like a tattoo and I had like a jump, like the, the sweatsuit, you know, I'm still like guzzling water, have no like concept of like how this whole thing works. And so I go sit in a sauna in North Carolina in Durham and like cut down to 139 pounds, 
and then get in a car and drive to DC just completely dry with again no concept of like any of this <laughs> at least you didn't have to worry about stopping to pee this is this is very <laughs> this is very true but like, like again this is all based off of my like vast study of the ultimate fighter at this point <laughs> to learn martial arts <laughs> and so we went to naga and i like i did well i think i got second and like it was pretty fun. It was like the novice division. So like these people were like, I mean, they maybe they'd gone to some classes, but like we probably all knew the same stuff, right? And I decided like, okay, this is pretty fun. I'm gonna, I'll like shell out some money here and find somebody to like to do this. So then that was that was it. That was that was the beginning. That's incredible. That's an incredible cast of jujitsu, North Carolina jujitsu uh, practitioners that you were just talking about, Mazi, all those guys. I mean, that's. They've been in the game for a very long time. Yeah, for sure. And what year was that? It was 2009. Uh, yeah, I believe the tournament was October 2009. Because I think this year will be 10 years in October. Wow. And probably chose Naga just for the sweet sword. Again, didn't know any. Didn't <laughs> like. No, no, no. This is where it gets even sweeter. Cause like, a, you know, I do this Naga tournament. I come back and I like do some research. And like the gym in Chapel Hill was great, but they didn't have a daytime class at that time. And so for me, it was an issue of I needed to find somewhere that I could go train at noon so that I wouldn't make any bad mistakes or bad decisions. Cause like I would get off work at Brugger's at say one o'clock from making bagels. Well, between one o'clock and seven o'clock, that's a lot of time to make bad decisions and like find something yeah. else or any other <laughs> excuse to do other than go train. And so finding a place with a a midday class where in the middle of the day I was able to go in and like train hard and then come out. You guys know how it is to train. You feel great afterwards. It's always better after. Yeah. yeah, and so then you're just like keep trucking along on that like kind of clean path and it was a it was a big game changer for me for sure. If you were to talk to my parents or people that knew me 10 years ago, life was headed in a different direction for sure. Yeah. No, that's great. It's very self-aware of you to know that you kind of had to have that structure in order to succeed because it this is a tough campaign. It's it, jujitsu is hard, and in order to succeed, and success just looks like this to me. It's just doing it every day, every day that I can. And that was that's the thing. Like there was a, I mean, the period of time for me first finding out about jujitsu, being introduced to people like Spencer, Jake, Jake Whitfield, these guys teaching there. To me, actually signing up was a couple years, a process of me like building up the like the courage if you will to like go into this room you know and a lot of people i think don't understand how intimidating those rooms can be sometimes especially when it's a room full of like tough tough mma yeah. fighters sure yeah <laughs> and okay. so like you know it was a, it was a long process to get to just like all right we're gonna we're going we're doing it we're not turning back and glad we did yeah so that first year what is your training schedule like whenever you did that you would do the noon classes. What did your training, like whenever you started, what did your training schedule look like? Did you go two, three, four? So I used to wait, I used to work, so I was working at Brugger's, mm -hmm. the, the bagels, bagels name, yeah. we can get that out of the way. <laughs> a lot of people think that there is some like really like hilarious story or a lot of parents think that there's like an inappropriate story behind it. They'll like, <laughs> they'll, they'll come up and they'll say, they'll cover their kids' ears and they'll say, what does the bagels mean? What do you think it means? Like, you tell me, tell me where you're headed you're like, with this. You're a freak. Yeah, you're a what freak is lady. going on here? Because I can only, I am a married man. I can only think of one reference to the bagel here, right? And like, oh, no. And so I used to, I worked at Bagel at Brugger's for seven years. A local bagel making company. Really good bagels. Really good. They're not as good now. I don't make them anymore. Obviously. But, but so I would go in there. I started there in high school, and working the, I was the baker. So I would go in at like 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning to like make, make the bagels and open up the shop and everything. Um, so because I worked there for so long, and it at the time wasn't a uh, corporate company, it was an independent franchise. Sure. So we were a little more 
had a little more uh, lax scheduling and ability to kind of do what we wanted. And I was really good at my job. So they would let me leave. I would like make a whole bunch of bagels and then I would like clock out at 11. Or not clock out. But I would leave <laughs> at 11. And then I would drive from Durham to Raleigh out to Billy Dowie and Jason Culber's gym, which was the original Forge Holy Fitness shit. out there. Exactly. And I would take the noon class. I would train. And then I would drive back and f finish my shift at Brugger's and clock out. And then I would go, at the time, I was working at a shop called The Flying Triangle, which was a MMA and like apparel company that uh, this lady Angie started kind of right when the UFC was sort of like booming. But unfortunately, it was, is it South Point in Durham? in like storefront uh, uh, retail space, which is not cheap. And it's yeah. like, there would be weeks that I'd be sitting in this store and nobody would come in. I just, I, I would sit in the middle of the store with a plasma screen on the wall and I watched UFC one through whatever UFC we were at then. And I would just put it on repeat and I would just sit there and watch all day. But then go back at night, train again, drive back to Durham, go to sleep for a couple hours, wake up, make the bagels, Go do the same thing the next day. And then as the jujitsu kind of increased and we moved into doing, uh, I started doing MMA, that time started, I started leaving the bagel shop earlier and earlier and earlier to when finally, like, finally with fighting amateur MMA and treating amateur MMA like a business, I was able to, like, generate enough revenue to finally, like, walk away from that and just train and just do that and so that was like kind of how we got from there to and how long of a period of time was that was that a year was it i think years? it was i think it was three years, three years something like that i believe yeah. it was the majority of my like a good portion of my mma career was still working at brugger's because i remember like coming in and like being like really really tired <laughs> just dead or not being able to eat anything in here because it's all bagels, right? And like, <laughs> and beat up to boot from doing everything. Yeah. stuff. Yeah. yeah, I was never, I never really got beat up too bad. We were always pretty smart about our training for the most part. There was a few occasions where Jason and Billy tried to murder us, but like outside of that, we were pretty good. Like, I remember them one day. I don't remember if it was Jason or Billy, but like they'd come in and they they felt like. We were like, people were kind of keeping a little too much distance. So I think it was Jason. He tied our front feet together. Our lead feet got tied together. And so you were always in the pocket and you couldn't get away from each other. And it was just like a sling fest, right? <laughs> they would also have us like stand, and you've probably seen it with like a tire. And you have to stand with your lead foot in the tire yeah. and you just like fight from there. So Those were always fun. One of the one of the best quotes I remember Billy coming in the gym one day and like we were always pretty good. There was a core group of guys there that were training. We were all about the same size. Five of us lived in a house together, which was a shit show in and of itself. And so like we kind of were pretty responsible for each other's well being, if you will. We weren't trying to like kill each other. But sometimes Billy really wanted us to like we needed to kick it up a notch. Like we had fights coming up. He's like, he was trying to push us. So I remember one time he came in and he like stopped us and he's like yelling at us, you guys need to be going harder. A little blood never ruined a friendship was the quote. A little blood never ruined a friendship. <laughs> and I'm sparring with one of my roommates, Max Dorn. And we turn and like within five seconds, you just hear, and I don't, do you guys remember Nathan Newborough? I think he trained with you guys. Yeah, Nathan. Yeah, we Owie Nate. Yeah, yeah, we call him Owie Nate. Because he was always getting hurt. But it was Owie. It was Nate. And you just hear, ow! And his nose is, like, broken and just bleeding everywhere. I'm like, oh, God. Like, we all feel so bad. But I mean, I'm, I'm also laughing a little bit because of the, the timing of the whole thing. And it's, it's Owie Nate and, like, poor guy. But it was, like... It was definitely within like 10 seconds. A little blood never ruined a friendship. And then like, what up? And I looked at Max and I was like, there went a friendship. And we just kept on sparring. Oh, that's great. That's great. Wow. I didn't know, I didn't know Nathan trained with you guys. Oh yeah, Nate, Nathan and I, 
Nathan and I taught Nathan taught kids with me for. I mean, I probably taught with him for like four years. Oh wow! Mm-hmm. At four years. Yes, sir. Right. Yeah. Yes, sir. I, I did want to actually get into that topic. Topic that makes a good segue. Um, you know, Phil and I, uh, Phil more than me, but we both help coach the, the kids that fight to win with John Plyler mm-hmm. in uh, Denver, North Carolina. And, you know, I see your, you know, do privates with kids. You've got, you've got all these lessons. You're great with the kids. I love watching the videos, the one of you in the talent show. <laughs> uh, and tell us a little bit about what your recommendations are for someone who's thinking about coaching the kids, helping coach their kids' team. So, where, where should we start here? I guess the biggest thing is to, you've got to be able to like take yourself a little less seriously. Sure. Right? So you've got to be able to kind of have two roles. You've got to be able to turn on the bad cop, but also I've got to be able to be like silly, let's play, let's have fun. You can be very comfortable with me, Coach Bagels. Having that line of let's have fun, but also when I say go or when I say stop, this means now. Right, it's, it's hard for some people. Some people don't necessarily like being bad cop. I have no problem with being bad cop. I understand that at the end of the day, the reward is gonna be greater here. If I have to upset this child for 10 minutes because they have to do something they don't wanna do, or I am disciplining them or reprimanding them for something, in the end, the result here is gonna be worth this 10 minutes of, you know, crying whatever it is so kind of like looking at the bigger picture of everything versus just one individual class is probably like the big takeaway i would for say for sure for sure and and here's something here's something that i personally struggle with with the kids and that is that is how much technique is too much technique in other words instead of you know i find myself now laying off of giving any kind of corrective advice or, or most of it and give mostly positive reinforcement on that. But there are certain times, man, where you just, you have to, you have to say something. What is your, what are your thoughts on that subject? Like, what do you use as criteria? For? So in terms of uh, like correction, yeah, I kind of operate in, in this again, depends on the student. I have some kids who are, uh, very very motivated and like they they can take the corrections if they're doing something wrong they want to know right i have other kids that are they're just kind of trying they're just having fun right now sure like i my goal i need to make sure that little tommy keeps having fun because for little tommy to love jujitsu we got to get to that point where he understands what's happening and so there might be a period where we're just trying to make sure tommy's having fun right and so i kind of operate on a like a like a three strike method where say Phil is trying to do an arm bar and I'm trying to get him to put his hand on the chest a certain way. And I've come over and I've said, Phil, Phil, stop. Let's, let's look at it, let's, let's switch our hands and let's do it like this and I'll mm-hmm. explain why. Right? And usually an explanation of why really helps, really goes a long way in reinforcing why we're doing this. All right, cool. I walk away, I go help, I go help Jeff over here. He's also doing it wrong. He's blue course. belt. He's blue belt also. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, totally doing wrong. Standard. <laughs> and then I look back and like he's making the exact same mistake again, right? I'll come back. Cool. Come back. Hey Phil, remember let's let's try to like put this bottom hand this hand on the bottom. Remember because if we do it this other way, X, Y, and Z is going to be the result. This is what's going to happen. Right. Like oh, oh okay. Let him go. Cool. Come back. Go help you again because. You know you're close, but you still you don't you don't quite have it yet. You're close. I yeah, I believe that. I don't believe I'm close. And maybe. then I look over and he's doing he's still it's the exact same thing. He's still doing the exact same thing with his hand. Okay, I'll come over one more time. Hey, hey, remember we're gonna we're gonna try to like do it this way. Blah blah blah. Cool. Go away. Phil Phil does it again. It's cool. Make that mistake. Like, Phil. Yeah. Make that mistake. Okay. As long as Phil is not hurting. The other child, the other child's getting to do their drills. Yeah. We're like, we're moving along here. If if we're talking about one detail in a, like a series of a move, it's okay. It's, it's not the end of the world. Especially, 
depending on how you're running your program, I run like if I when I write lesson plans for a kid's program, it very much builds. So say we're gonna do a guard pass this week, right, or this month or whatever it is, whatever the time frame is. If we're gonna do say a knee cut pass this week, right? Cool, we'll drill this knee cut pass all week. Next week, we're gonna drill the knee cut pass, right? Because everybody already knows the knee cut pass, but we'll add on to it, person from the bottom will now hip skate and recover guard, right? So now I'm able to reinforce the knee cut pass that we did from the week before. I'm able to make sure that we're like, everybody still got these details and I can kind of nitpick a little bit more now where everybody kind of has the idea of like, Slide your knee through. Slide your knee through. Don't knee him in the nuts too much, right? Everybody's got <laughs> exactly. this idea. Don't knee him in the face. Yeah. Whatever, right? Yeah. Now I can go through and explain like, hey, hey, hey. Let's see how they're still holding onto your foot there. Let's try to, let's move our head to the other side and use our head to turn their head. And now we can free our foot. And I can go around kind of one at a time and individually help the kids that are ready for that next level of, yeah. of technique versus I've, piling it on for a bunch of kids that, they're not ready for this. Yeah. Yeah. I've noticed it's definitely like case by case. Like everybody's a little bit different. They're all in different places. And there'll be some people you can walk by and you just add that like next little detail that'll just make it a little easier for them. Because well, jujitsu, unlike a lot of like what I, what I would call traditional martial arts, like karate, taekwondo, they are reliant on a partner, right? And so, especially with kids, if you have one kid who understands what we're doing, right? So we'll stick with the knee cut pass right but the child on the bottom is just yeah like completely like completely noodled out right then the the person they're not even they're not even doing the move right so it's a matter of understanding that like we can't just go from zero to barambolo right like it doesn't work like that there's a lot that has to be covered in between and like they have to know the game it's you wouldn't just throw some kids on a basketball court and give them a ball and be like, all right, you guys ready for the game? Tweet! Like, you're just like, we're going to explain some things, right? Like, here's how you win. Here's how you lose. Like, you don't want to do this. You don't want it right. So, like, yeah. there's some steps we got to follow. That's really good advice. And for uh, for those of you, uh, you out there that, um, that are thinking about coaching the kids' class, um, it's it's a tremendous benefit to your own jiu-jitsu game, right? I mean – Whenever whenever you start doing that, you first you see you know uh, like John whenever he shows a technique, he always just shows it first. He doesn't really say anything, and then he'll go through it with a very small explanation, not not any key points, not not a huge amount of detail, and, and he always says we're just trying to get them to enjoy at this point, and then we'll build upon that enjoyment so that they can do this for a lifetime. So. I, it, it really it's it's helped my jujitsu. I wish I could do it more, quite honestly, yeah, because it gives me more of the reason. It's hard. It's 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 this very similar with like the intro programs that we were talking about yeah. earlier. Like I'll I teach a six a.m. intro program in Richmond, and I have to remind myself every day that like these people don't need they don't need all the details. Yeah. They don't need to be perfect at this. Yeah. <laughs> so when you be like a new person, I've noticed like when I'm trying to work just like anything, it's I try to do like one detail correction per maybe rep do you have like any kind of idea with that or again depending on the person so again depending on the person you kind of like i personally tend to like especially if i'm not instructing the class if i'm just participating in the class i if it's something like i mean like we're not even close to doing the drill correctly then like i'll try to help them out yeah. outside of that i try to have the instructor whoever's teaching said class come over and explain like what they want them to do here um small adjustments i'll help them with but for some stuff one i'm on the bottom or i'm in another position i can't necessarily see what you're doing here and then like we talked about earlier this instructor might have a different path for this person meaning like maybe they maybe if you know Tommy, I don't know who Tommy is, but he's really getting a lot of flack today. Maybe, maybe Tommy, we just want him to like get the concept of this knee cut pass down. Okay. Like, and we don't, we don't need to beat him to death with like, wrong, wrong, right. wrong, wrong. And so, as somebody who's just a participant of the class, a student, I am 
like, I mean, you're a blue belt, I'm a brown belt, but we're all just kind of in this class together, and here's the instructor. And so, like, in my gym in Richmond, there's, I mean, there's situations where there's, I have blue belts at our gym, they're better in certain positions than I am at, at some things. And so, like, the idea that I am the, like, the de facto answer because I'm the upper belt isn't necessarily always the case, if okay. that makes sense. Sure. Like, so sometimes I'll try to, like, if me and another person are, are drilling a technique and they're having a little trouble with something, I'll try to, like, Andrew, can you come over here and help help them, the leg thing? I think something's a little off here versus just trying to guess and, like, try to figure it out together. Because, again, that third-person perspective, he has a much better view of what's happening here. He's the one that showed this technique. Right. He knows what he wants out of this class. Yeah, of course. No, I think that's, that's really good, um, good advice, especially for whenever you work. You know, Phil and I, we kind of take on a senior role in, in the, in the uh, academy and we're paired up with those new people and we want them to enjoy it. Just and, and you know, it. nobody wants to just get the like, <clears throat> wrong, wrong, yeah. wrong. People, people don't want that, yeah. right? Especially, and some yeah. people don't necessarily understand the like structure or the hierarchy of jujitsu that like, hey, this guy that's a brown belt, he's he's got a pretty good understanding of what's yeah. going on here. Right, and so like to not just kind of beat them down the whole time, I think really helps. Yeah, I I guess I meant like if someone was doing say a scissor sweep or something, they were doing like eight things wrong. If somebody told me all eight things I was doing, I just don't remember it. Right. So I would try to do like maybe like hey, get up on your elbow, you know. Yeah, you got to start with like you know the most. For me, it would be like the most easily correctable thing. Let's fix this first. Just bam. This is yeah. Let's fix this. That's perfect. We got that fixed. All right, now let's look at this. And then it's not a matter of like hitting them with a, God, you're so dumb. You couldn't, you got eight parts of this wrong at once. Right. Then as you're going through the, like you fix the hand grip. Let's get a, let's get a cross grip when we do this. Let's try a cross grip on this. And then you do it like, Seth, that feels better. Then yeah, instead of like easier, active correction, it's like, we're kind of figuring this thing out here yeah. together. Okay. Right. Yeah. And, and I like, I particularly like when I remember back whenever I first started, and um, I was going with legs, Ryan Leggett. He's now one of our black belts. Uh, um, phenomenal, really great teacher. And he kind of took me under his wing whenever we started because I was a big guy. He was a big guy. And um, I remember we were doing something. I can't even remember what the technique was that we were doing. And um, and he would give me like one one correction, and I'd be like, oh yeah, okay, so good, good, good. And he'd give me another correction. And then like after like five minutes we'd done an extended drilling on this or something i was like i wasn't doing any of that shit right was i he was like no not really but that's okay are you having fun I'm yeah. Like, yeah it's great and like that's the same attitude for kids yeah like i i have some i have some kids like man i have this this adorable kid and he is one of my favorite students but like he could care less about winning a jiu-jitsu match doesn't care at all <laughs> doesn't care but like man he's gonna go to that tournament he's gonna have a good time he's gonna smile the whole time he's gonna lose all of his matches but like he's gonna have a blast and just like that's cool eventually somewhere along like i've done this long enough with kids where like i've had these kids where like it's just like everything's just bouncing off their head nothing's going in right and then something happens they see a fight at school they see something and they decide like oh I know what's going on now. And then they like, now this kid, like everything that you thought wasn't getting in there, that you thought they weren't paying attention to, all of a sudden, like this kid is doing all of it. And you're like, whoa, all right. All right, you know jujitsu now, right? And so like, sometimes it seems like they're not getting it. It seems like they're not paying attention. They are. They are. It's, so, it's soaking up in there and eventually it'll come out if you can keep them in there long enough. And who's to say that that's not the right attitude? All the time for life in general, yeah, right. Like, right? be happy, man. Screw it. Win, lose, draw, whatever. God. Oh, his like bless his parents. They're so supportive of his just like it's awesome da, 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 <laughs> attitude. It's great. <laughs> that is awesome. Great insight on that too, um, and really appreciate you sharing that with us. I mean, we Phil and I both want to be better at, at, at helping the kids, and and, um, and again realizing the benefits of what it is to help coach the kids for your own. Uh, jiu-jitsu journey. I think it's a really important step. For sure. I mean, being able to explain the... If you can explain the hows and the whys to a five-year-old, 
you, you're getting a decent understanding of what's going on here at yeah. this point, right? I mean, right. unless you're just making stuff up. You're like, it's magic! That's <laughs> cool, too. I say that sometimes also. It's, it's acceptable. <laughs> oh, that's great. Um, so, so I want to bring up, A, the John Bagels Telford travel tips and hacks. Because you, it's amazing, you and uh, Bruiser Bev see you all over Instagram, traveling all over the world, everywhere. Tell us a little bit about what gives you the passion for that travel? What do, what what makes you driven to do that? So I guess it, it probably starts from a young age. My parents are very adventurous. And uh, from a young age, we, like, if there was a... Memorial Day, whatever the, the weekend was, like a three-day weekend, the summer, we were always going on trips places, whether it was camping, backpacking, like going wherever. We traveled a lot. And so I started to get that like enjoyment from seeing new places and meeting new people. And then with Bev, we both have such a love for food that like, man, a lot of places, like we're going to Spain with... Um, my buddy Max and his girlfriend and Sean Zorio uh, the day after Nogi Pans in September specifically to go to one restaurant. <laughs> wow. <laughs> but, I mean, we're going we're gonna to do other things there and have so fun. Is it Tapas restaurant? It is, yeah, it is I mean, tickets. It's, it's Albert Adria's restaurant. Okay. So he used to have the number one restaurant in the world. It's called El Bui. He has a new place called Tickets in Barcelona. So we're looking forward to going to that. It's awesome. But, it, I don't know. It's just it's the it's a big place out there. I kind of want to see it all. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, agreed. There's a and then jujitsu is they they go together so well that like when we travel, whether it's traveling for you know over the years I've traveled so much for running U.S. grappling events, then that travel kind of stretched out or expanded with doing IBJJF events where I've competed all over the world with that, and then now it's like. Man, you know it'd be really fun is if we went to some of those places, but didn't do, didn't do the tournament. Like, say we just went there and did vacation. <laughs> so that way you're not having to cut weight. Boom! Like the flight, camp. the flight yeah, there is like a balloon. The flight there is a lot more enjoyable <laughs> than you know, dying, getting <laughs> requesting like the gluten-free meal on the transatlantic flights and like, but. So I want to talk about that because that is something that we talk about. You know, I travel a lot for work. I cover, well, I used to travel a lot more going to different places, but now I cover mostly North Carolina and Virginia. And, um, you know, I, I love training in other places. Like I said, I, I used to be in Richmond a lot. That's whenever I was, uh, you know, John said, look up Andrew Smith, go to Revolution BJJ, go train there. And I used to train in that 6 o'clock, 6 a.m. class all the time. <laughs> Loved it. You know, it was awesome. Yeah. Uh, Trey would teach sometimes. Uh, Daniel Frank would teach other times. But um, give the audience a little bit of an idea of what you do and how you kind of set it. You, let's back up. Maybe not necessarily you or what they should do because you're pretty well known around the jiu-jitsu circle now. And if you message somebody, you probably A, know the person that, that you're going to train with. But, but let's say you're traveling abroad and you don't know that person. What what kind of tips do you have for for folks who are looking to train while they're not so, at home? So, jiu-jitsu when you travel, um, the easiest thing to do is find out where you're going and then look up the academies around you and find somewhere with like a schedule, find a class you want to go to. Or talk to your instructor and ask them and say, hey, I'm going to wherever. Do you know anybody here? Chances are they do. Yeah. For the most part, like the jujitsu world is just kind of like that. People know people, um, and so if you can have any sort of initial connection, it makes things much easier. Where if your instructor can reach out and send a message and say, "Hey, my student's coming to your town and wants to know if they can come train," that that always works great. Outside of that, doing that on your own is also works very well. Just sending a very nice message: "Hey, I'll be in town. I'd love to come train." You know, is that a possibility? Blah, blah, blah. Move along, right? And then you need to be, you need to understand and be ready to pay something, right? These, these are, this, this is a big misconception with a lot of places is that 
because jujitsu is such an awesome community that community that like this is something that you should get to do for free wherever you go and like granted the majority of places a lot of places will just let you drop in for free that being said you should still be prepared to pay something and so if you go somewhere and train and they don't want to take money from you for like a drop-in fee my recommendation is that you buy something from them support that academy in some way whether it's buying a rash guard a t-shirt a hat whatever buy something give these people some money and let them know that you are appreciative of being there and them welcoming you in because all the other people that are there are paying to be there every day they're this is their membership right and so for you to come into their class and take a percentage of their instructor's time you should be appreciative of that um now outside of that i think it's very beneficial because like if i travel to a new place and i don't know anybody and don't know where anything is you know want some maybe some connections to find anything some food whatever and it's really easy to go to a jiu-jitsu gym right i don't have to go meet a stranger on the sidewalk and ask them random questions i can just go to a jiu-jitsu gym train and then without a doubt we're going to have a conversation afterwards even if we're in another country we can we can figure this out, right? Yeah. With with jujitsu and like our hands, we can we can figure out a way to communicate here with Google Translate and whatnot. That like you're able to kind of get a, a good inside scoop of like, hey, you should go to this restaurant, you should go eat these things, don't buy this, like whatever, whatever the case may be. But it's nice to get that kind of insider's travel guide, if you will, and do jujitsu at the same time. For sure. I totally agree and, and you're spot on on that. You know, I always um, ask, hey, you know, happy to pay the customary mat fee, whatever it is. And I would add on to that too, when you finish at that place, go leave them a review, right? Post on Instagram, you know, get a picture with them, you know, make sure that they have positive feedback so that they, it does a couple things, right? It boosts their business, right? They see that you reach different people than they would yep. normally reach and, and they get a benefit from that. Plus, the next time you go back, you're going to be welcomed back with open arms. You know, I mean, that's just the way it works. I would say the last thing I would add is if you were if if you were somewhere training and you were like on the last class or things are finishing up there, stay and clean up. Always stay yeah. and help clean up. hundred percent. I, I can't tell you how many times I see people come visit and then when when everybody goes to grab a mop, they're like, "See ya." <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, okay. I like you less now. A hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. Always make it a point because that's when you have the conversations, right? About where exactly that do what where to go to. You know, I mean, that's that's an invaluable. Uh, and time. it could very well be that like you go and try to grab a mop, and they're not going to let you clean up. That's sure. fine. It's just like the mat fee thing. They might not want to take any money from you. That's fine. But you should you should make the effort. Sure. You should make the effort to insist. Yeah. And Phil's pretty outgoing, so he, you know, he always does that. Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. But to be honest, when I do most of like most travel, like outside of America, I don't train. I don't bring a gi. Do you not? Mm-mm. Oh wow! It takes up too much of my luggage, too much of my space, and then I've got a sweaty gi, and then there's not. You've seen my belt. Yes. And so like, if I go somewhere. John Piper's Academy was very, everybody at Piper's Academy was very nice to me yesterday. Most other places where I go, if I show up, there is like a gigantic bullseye on my back. And so it's, it's not like go and do a, like let's go do some rolls and like do some like hippie jujitsu or whatever you want to call it, where you like float around and whatever. No, 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 people are trying to win. And so it's a matter of like, it's a full day for me. It's like I gotta wake up and eat breakfast and then I gotta go and train, hope I don't get hurt or injured. Like, I have a black eye right now from yesterday. <laughs> that was at the wedding, that was nice. And so like, the risk of injury versus like, trying to enjoy my vacation. I do jujitsu like, almost every day. So. Yeah. I, I so did, no I've death got, matches while I'm Yeah, I trained, in, <laughs> I, trained, I trained in Taiwan and it was pretty brutal. <laughs> it was, people were trying to murder me. It was really hot and like again being on different time zones different diets like everything's different it's just 
kind of eats up a whole day of vacation. Yeah, no, I get it. Understood. Um, next thing I want to get into is is the Toro Cup. You've been in the Toro Cup for I since it started, right? I, mean, I think I was on Toro Cup one as a competitor. Uh-huh. I believe yes. I think I had a match with. I think it was Toro Cup one. I had a match with Joseph Carroll. Uh-huh. It was. Oh, I think I like still have brain damage from that match. He, I think it was Toro Cup one. I was a purple belt, and he was a black belt, and I think we had gone through the regulation period, maybe, and into the points, or it was the end of the regulation period, and I had set a guillotine coming up, and when I set the guillotine, he, like, we came up to the feet, and I'm, like, driving him across the mat, there's, like, a short time left, I think, and I'm trying to get the finish, because I was tired and didn't want to go to that points round and he catches both my wrists traps both my hands around his neck and does the guillotine defense like where you sit through sure but like a lot of people watch the video and they're like why didn't you just let go that was so dumb like man i really wanted to let go he was holding (laughs) on to both of my hands and so you just see me face plant head first into the mat and like billy billy dowie turned it into i don't know what it's called the Jiff? Yeah. Is sure. that when it's like repeats sure. a whole yeah, bunch? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, and it's just like bam, 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 bam. It's <laughs> like my face. And like my feet go straight up in the air, like, and I'm like super concussed. I kinda like get up for a second and Josh is Murdoch is refing and he's like, You okay, bagels? I'm like, oh, I try to like take take uh, Joe down. And like it doesn't work. I think Joe ends up getting a takedown and winning on two points or something. And like, meanwhile, I'm like on another planet. <laughs> That's hilarious. It was like, but like, man, Joseph Carroll, like one of the nicest people in the game, him yeah. and his brother, they were really nice. But yeah, he got me, got me with the self-defense. It was funny because I used <laughs> to, that used to be it's a great thing. move too, by the way. It used to be like a good joke between Billy Dowie and I doing like a, a lot of local tournaments, doing the Noki divisions. I would try to use self-defense moves to win like in the tournaments and we would do it like and I mean like like stand there and let them run around and bear hug you and try to pick you up and suplex you so you could do the knee bar but when you did you had to yell self defense or like it didn't count and so it made it only better because I'd done that a bunch to people it only made it better that I got highlight reel and like it was it was on the internet for a while just like pow 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 and like the comments of people like shitting on me were brutal <laughs> all these people like that guy's so dumb like white belts know better than to do that blah 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 oh, there's always an arm <laughs> gotta stay out of the comments always always out of that that's hilarious but uh, you know one of the reasons that, that the BJJ Campaign Podcast supports Story Cup is always goes to a worthy cause I think that's something that you guys have really done right over the years and it, it really makes us proud to be alongside all those other sponsors to be doing that so Thank you for that. Not to mention that best rule set in the game. Yeah, I like it. I mean, I like it. For those of you who don't know, uh, black belts 15, 15 minutes. 15 minutes. Then they go to an overtime with points, and then if there's no points scored at the end of the overtime, it's a sudden death. So the first points win, right? And then a beer, a key point to that is there's no advantages no scored advantage. at all at right. that whole point. So the match will never be decided by some like weird ambiguous. I thought he did this as the referee. It's did you pass the guard? Did you mount them? Did you do X, Y, or Z? Right. Yeah. And then the that long initial period, like for black belts, that 15 minute time period. It's, I mean, watching guys, they have to make a mental switch from fighting a submission only mindset to a points mindset, and it has to happen like that. And I don't know if you remember, like the, I think it was Josh Williams, Andrew Bittner, maybe the first one I think the first one they went through the regulation period and then in the as soon as the points round started Bittner was so tired that they stood up and it was like he was on another planet and just got double leg boom like yeah it was so fast and like yeah. that's happened with other people too where people like they don't make the switch quick enough and there's also a strategy there of like at what point in the submission only round do you stop trying to go for the kill and like maybe save a little energy i don't know yeah right it's very tough and then you have after the points you have the sudden death round first person to score it's like 
that changes everything again, right? 100%. You've got to be default aggressive on that whenever, whenever you're there. Or what I really like about that is you've got an opportunity. If, you, if you're a guard player, you've got an opportunity to play guard and sweep or do whatever you want. You can I do mean, whatever you what want. I really like about that first points. So, so kudos to you guys on adopting that rule. It's, it was also like, I mean, I don't know if you remember talking to Boomer. Like this thing kind of spiraled out of the Metamorris, yes, Metasnorris sure. or whatever they call it. Like they had all these matches, and I remember like we all used to get so excited for them. We'd like all get together like it was like a UFC or something, right? You have sure. people over to your house, and be like this sucks. I'm like this sucks. Nobody is motivated to win here. Yeah. Like everybody is fighting for the draw, and like this yeah. sucks. And then you have the other side, which is like the EBI style rules, which is, at the time, was great. It was like, man, this is exciting, but the overtime, like, I, it just, now it's become, people are gaming that. Now it's become, we're going to stall until we get to the overtime, and I'm really good at escaping this one position, or I'm really good at starting in a fully locked-in arm bar or triangle. Like, yeah. I don't understand the concept of that. It's terrible because you're never going to be presented with that option in jiu-jitsu in a tournament right well to I, me it's like starting on your knees it's like yeah. it's like the equivalent of like if you, if like all your training for jiu-jitsu is starting on your knees well like in in what world like show me the jiu-jitsu tournament where you start on your knees show me the street fight where like after we push each other and curse at each other and chest bump or whatever we then drop to our knees to fight each other never in the history of ever it's so Phil's dumb done that a couple times <laughs> but <laughs> I, that's like probably like one of my biggest pet peeves is yelling. I yell at people about that a lot. If I see like two people just like crawling around on the mat on their knees, pushing each other around, like somebody sit down. This is so stupid. <laughs> like do, do some jujitsu. Like you guys just spent ten minutes like crawling around like toddlers. What is this? That's hilarious. You're just like <laughs> stupid. And so uh, you're a. I do a lot. You do a lot with Toro Cup. Oh, one of the best hype men out there. Toro Cup is always, ladies and gentlemen, whenever the match is going on, if it's a really good match, you know, sometimes the crowd needs a little bit of encouragement. Like you don't know what they're I, watching. And, and I find it, I find it too, because I'm like, I'm like, oh my god, you know, instead of instead of clapping, and then you know, you bring the crowd, elevate the crowd up to that. And I'm lucky that I have that first that first period. Yeah. Of submission only, where like I'm the ref, but like, what am I refing? I'm just making sure, just stay in here. Don't don't <laughs> punch each other. Like I, I can I can be like, yeah, this is just this is good. Yeah. And like, I feel like also a lot of things happen that people can't necessarily see what's happening. And so like these guys will do something awesome, and I know what it's like to work really hard for something for nobody to notice, and you're like, I just passed this guard. Did yeah, nobody yeah. see that? Yeah. <laughs> and these these people are like. Toro Cup's tough. It's a tough event. Great matchup. I mean, just to DeAndre Corby and, and Joao Miao in this next Toro Cup, that's crazy. <laughs> Whenever you made that match and posted I was like, wow. So I got <laughs> – you can, like, ask the parents from Revolution. I was in the middle of teaching, like, kids' class, and I had, like, walked over, and I saw, like, the alert on my phone. And, like, you know, like, on the iPhone, how you just get the little line? Yeah. It's like – like uh, email from Joao, and like in the the subject, it was like like con it was the contract that I'd send him. It was him sending it back, and I just like dropped the phone. I was like, ah! I like ran around the whole room screaming, and I'm like, she's like grabbing because I'm like, yeah. <laughs> so oh, like like what what's happening? Oh, nothing. Don't worry about it. I can't Especially tell you that. <laughs> now that he's won worlds too. I mean, well, he yeah, won worlds did. before. I mean, but. But we timed it pretty well. Oh, I'll pat myself <laughs> on the back for that one. I was sitting there like it was me, Daniel Frank, and Dylan Martin, and John Kilmer, and Sean were watching Worlds. And like, as it ends up, like we're watching the bracket, and I'm like, come on, come on, give it, to, give it to him. Like, don't, don't, don't give it to your brother. Give it to him. That would yeah. be much better for our marketing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. No, that was that's awesome. So what's it like, um, we're getting to the end of our kind of uh, hour, so what is it like to, uh, because you've got to put a lot of thought into these matches. I mean, A, uh, commend you for, I don't know how many women's matches there are, but your women's matches are phenomenal. There's probably, what, 10, uh, there was on the last card, I think, 11, 11 women's matches Here last are. time. I'll tell you right now. 
And so just to put all of that together. 15? That's incredible. That's I think. Yeah, 15. And quality, the quality that you have with the competitors, a, a lot due to your facilitating of that matchmaking over the years and being the one to do it. But, uh, you know, next to Joe DeSilva for the UFC, I really do believe you're the best matchmaker <laughs> out there, I've, honestly. I appreciate that. It's It really... I don't want to talk myself out of a job here, but it's not as hard as a lot of people think it is. I'm lucky that I'm in an area where we have so much talent. Like, because of U.S. grappling and the amount of, like, God knows how many IBJJF events I've done, where I, I just get an opportunity to see so many of these people compete. And along just North Carolina and Virginia alone, there's so many talented grapplers that it's... They make it pretty easy for me, right? It's, it's not like I'm having to go hunting for them anymore. They're they're coming to us now, and so I think if I was in like you know a different part of the country, it might be a little tougher. But it'd be nice when the rest of the country starts to realize what's going on over here. <laughs> no, agreed. Not you know I had that conversation with Boomer too. I mean, you would think that something with the rule set that Toro Cup has, with the the following that it has, you would think it would be some content that somebody the streaming, you know, a flow grappling or whoever would want to pick up because it's, it's always incredible matches, always from top to bottom. Yeah. And usually like 25, 30 matches that, that, you, that you have. So it's incredible uh, the, the stack cards that are and out there. And it keeps, yeah, it keeps going up, right? We've right. got, we've got a couple ideas that Boomer and I are kicking around for the next one to try to. It's always the next one. Take right? it up a notch. It's, it's always the next good. one, right? Yeah. You know, it's at some point there it might be moving to maybe somewhere a little bit bigger. Um, that place that. is kinda I've small. But yeah. uh, luckily Triangle Jiu Jitsu, like the way that that's all set up is what makes I have to explain this to people a lot because they want to know why why don't you take Toro Cup to other places? Sure. Right? I'd love to. We've looked at it. The problem is what enables us to run the event the way we do, where we give half the ticket sales to charity, is the fact that we have people like Seth Champ with Triangle Jiu-Jitsu who are essentially donating their facility to us, right? Boomer's able to operate right there and sell merchandise that mm -hmm. day, so like this is, makes sense for him. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, we have to go somewhere and rent a facility and pay for other insurance, pay for event insurance, right? pay for a lot of other extraneous things that come up, right? That now we're not able to really make this charitable donation the way we do now. Yeah. Which for Toro Cup, like one of my favorite things is like Chelsea McCoy for the last event, right? First of all, Chelsea McCoy paid to get into that event, which is insane to me. She, <laughs> she like, <laughs> we saw her at the end of the event. I was like, why do you have this wristband? She's like, we paid to get in. I was like, oh, God, Chelsea. <laughs> but, like, we literally handed Chelsea a bag of cash at the end of the day. And it's like, this is yours. Like, you yeah. do with this. I don't care. Go to the mall. Go. I don't care. Put this towards your medical bills. Go on vacation. Buy a pony. I don't care. This right. is your money. <laughs> Hope your life is easier now. But like all of that money, straight there. Like it's it goes straight to those people. It's there's no like we're taking, you know, half the money goes to charity, but like we've got some fees we've got to cover and like what no, it just all goes to them. It's usually just like a pile of cash. Take yeah. this, see ya, have a great day. It's like I love that. I love being able to make like a an actual difference in somebody's life. In in locally as well. Yes, and right. In the jujitsu community is also awesome and one of the main reasons that Phil and I thought, think it's imperative that we support uh, the Toro Cup all the time so thank you for that and um, lastly Bagels uh, do you want to mention any of your sponsors that that, uh, that help you you know we didn't even get in and we'll do a follow-up to this for sure but we didn't even get into your your competition career and, and everything your top 10 now? I don't know. In the world? Uh, I think I saw that. It was like <laughs> nine. That's incredible. It's an incredible accomplishment. Thank you. Uh, but do you have any sponsors that you'd like to mention? Yes. I have Toro and Cageside BJJ. Boomer has supported me since I was a white belt and fighting MMA and we have been together ever since. And like 
man, that guy does so much for jujitsu in this area and people in this area, and I just doesn't really get enough credit. Um, Betty Broadhurst with Roll Forever supports me and does an awesome job. I get delicious coffee from Forte Legato that like, man, I don't even, I don't even like want to do the math to add up like how much coffee he gives me, but it's greatly appreciated. (laughs) Um, High Road Revolution, which is a new sponsor of mine, which is kind of a different, a different sponsor for me. He, or the company is, there's no product. They're selling anything. Their, their whole goal or whole mission is to try to use jujitsu to try to get people to just be nicer to one another and, you know, do nice things for each other for no reason other than helping out one another. Right. And I think that that kind of mission statement is awesome in today's society. And somebody that's just kind of selflessly trying to make the world a better place for no gain of their own is really awesome. Um, then I have cam photos and designs and Remington Place Productions. Nice, All these yeah. people support me and I really, really appreciate it. Because awesome. otherwise this lifestyle is not possible. Right. It really helps to have some people support you along the way. 100%. And tell people how they can follow you on Instagram. Or... So you can follow me at BagelsBJJ on Instagram. Or my name's John Bagels Telford on Facebook. There is applications for Toro Cup at www.torocup.com. And if you like to do jiu-jitsu tournaments, we have an awesome tournament coming up for, with U.S. Grappling in Raleigh next weekend, and then the weekend after June 29th in Frederick, Maryland. So June 22nd, Raleigh, June 29th in Frederick, Maryland. Yes, sir. Very good. Uh, and, and thank you for being on, Bagels. We really appreciate it. Oh, I got one more. Tell me. BJJ Path. Oh, yeah. Okay. This is uh, That's awesome. Andrew Smith's uh, new like instructional... Collection. I don't know what you. I don't know what you call it, but it's a lot of people have these instructionals out now where you go on there and it's just like this sea of moves you kind of like get lost in. Right. And uh, Andrew has done a really good job with BJJ Path, putting it together where you can go through and say you can click on a leg lock option and it will start from say a basic foot lock entry and just kind of work down the list where you can keep going and keep following the progression of like as I do this leg attack. They're going to counter and do this. Then I can look to do X, then Y, and you can kind of build your game very well. Also, having instructors, instructors or people showing you techniques that are obtainable to me is really important. Yeah. Like for me, I can look at instructions on there, and then I could contact Andrew and say, "Hey, like, I, where's your hand doing on this grip, right?" And to have somebody like they can actually answer that question for me. Or if I'm like having even more trouble, I could contact, schedule a seminar, schedule a private, have them come to my academy and teach all this stuff that I really like is really awesome to me. It's incredible. And actually Phil and I were drilling the one the other day, the uh, Deep Dale Heba um, rollover that Daniel- The Dele, right. Deep Dale X? Yeah, yeah, that, that Daniel Frank showed. We were drilling that. That's an incredible move. It's, it's awesome. It's an easy move. It's not, it's not that hard of a move. And I think, I could be wrong, but I think it's like ten dollars a month right now, or something. It That's might be fifteen dollars a month, but it's like it's so cheap. It's really it's, good. it's incredible product. Yeah, and and just by the way, folks, if you want to see some of this in action, um, we have it on the BJJ campaign group awesome. page that we shared because it, it really is an incredible resource and something that I that I truly enjoy. Um, so, Phil, tell them how uh, tell everyone how they can support us more than they already have. Joining the group on Facebook, BJJ Campaign, um, the YouTube, same BJJ Campaign podcast, Facebook regular page, website BJJ Campaign Podcast dot com, and you can buy a shirt or a patch. Tell them about the the, the uh, deal we've got running with the shirt and the patches. There's a special. You save five dollars. Woo! Yes. See, hype man. That's Bagel awesome, man. That's five dollars. Think about all the things you could spend that five dollars on. <laughs> exactly. You could buy cup something coffee. from Toro BJJ. Exactly. You could buy a cup of coffee from Forte Legato. Uh, discount rack. The five dollar rack at BJJ. Is, <laughs> it's nice. Shot is fire. Well, Toro BJJ is who made the shirts. So yes. Well, you know, of course, it all comes around. Quality and the patches. We are all wearing some quality <laughs> we shirts. Are, right? We are. <laughs> well dressed crew. Right. But uh, so. Everybody out there, if you're not out there doing something better with yourself, get out there and do it. Phil Bagels, we 
choose jujitsu, and we hope you do too. How about to feed him to the sharks right now? Get him hyped right now. Yeah. You know the ground is our. Yeah. Everybody that trains, you know the game. Yeah. So let's get it. Uh. Slap it up, bump it, and roll. Hey. Yeah, that's the way that it go. Ain't no better way to better yourself in this game. You're feeling the growth. That's time on the mat. We put in the work. Believe it ain't easy, I know. But we train for the love of the game, the love of the art. Now slap it up, bump it, let's roll. Let's roll.